Okay, so we want you to know that none of our speakers nor any members of the planning committee have identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this activity and no one refused to disclose. So I'm going to introduce our first speaker, I assume you're our first speaker, uh, Brianna White. Um, and Brianna is our pediatric and PICU clinical nurse educator. And I think either you or the, I guess everyone else will introduce themselves. Sure. Okay, so please join me in welcoming them here this afternoon. Thank you. Okay. Oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> We're going to dance to start off with. <laughs> Um, I had the pleasure, so thank you so much for coming. I wanted my colleagues to introduce themselves. I've had the pleasure with working with them um, a year ago when we became acquainted over that time. Um, the red light will go on. How does this one go on? <laughs> yeah, oh, it should be. Is it working? Yeah. Can you hear this louder? Test, test. Let me just speak into that, yeah. Test, 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 test. My name is Heather Donnell. I um, I live in Rochester, uh, New Hampshire, and I am the Director of Education and Advocacy now at Community Support Network in Concord, um, but I did this uh, before I became an employee of them. Hi, my name is Audrey Garkin. Uh, I am a legislative liaison for One Sky Community Services in uh, Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It's one of the 10 area agencies uh, within the state of New Hampshire um, that uh, supply services for people with developmental disabilities. And I also have a child with developmental disabilities. So again, thank you for coming. Um, we are gonna get political, all right? And whenever we say that, I know a lot of people tend to cringe, but politics is what really matters. Um, Politics can impact everything that we do from receiving home care um, for at home for kids with disabilities. It can impact the nursing shortage. Um, so that's why we're here. And because politics is hard work, I'm going to ask you to do some work today. So you should all have a note card in front of you. And if you don't, you can raise your hand and we'll grab you one. Okay. And I would like you to think about three things that you're really passionate about that you care about or that you see as a problem. It can be in your life, it can be in your work environment, it can be the world at large. If you could write those three down, um, and we'll give you a minute to do that. There's extra pens too, if anybody needs a writing utensil. Sure. So again, we're going to write down three things that you're really passionate about. And that can be in your work, it can be in your life, um, it can be in the world at large. There's lots of things going on right now, so think about a couple things. So the goal for today was to describe a partnership between a nurse, that's me, and my colleagues, family advocates. Um, we worked on a commission to study the shortage of nurses and other skilled healthcare professionals um, in post-acute and home care services. We're also going to describe how advocates for children um, who weren't getting the services that they needed and really uh, deserved led to a small little bit of change. For the legislative process, 
And we're not going to fall asleep during that, so we're going to make it lively. Um, we're going to show the impact of nursing, that nursing can have on impacting and advocating for policy. Talk about why your voice matters. And also talking about why there's still some gaps in, um, that can be made and how to get involved in political advocacy. So um, what am I talking about today? So I know that um, Deb Hastings actually approached me a little over a year ago now because the New Hampshire Nurses Association was looking for a member to represent that organization for the commission to study the shortage of nurses and other skilled healthcare workers. I don't mean to interrupt both sure. Your microphone is dropping in and out. Where have you oh, got the... Right here. Can you put that down a little bit lower? Okay. And if you're going to stand like that, I don't mean to tell you how to I do can it. Use put the it right about the center. Yeah, yeah, that might work. Or you can stand. Okay. It's just people out there. Which one? That one? It's beginning to look a lot like. Test one, two. Four, five, six. She's low, but. Test one, two. You're going to use it just to um, keep it up close. <laughs> All right, how's this? Can you still hear me? Okay. So, and in healthcare and in politics, you have to roll with the flow, right? Um, so, Deb Hastings approached me a little over a year ago. They were looking for somebody to represent the New Hampshire Nurses Association. Um, and my background, I'll talk a little bit, but um, I have a passion working for children with disabilities. Um, and I'm kind of a nerd, so I love legislation, I love research, I love education. So, I felt like I was the perfect fit. Um, Aubrey and Heather are going to talk about a little bit about why they were chosen or decided to come um, into the commission. I have to say, this is not something that I really wanted to do. <laughs> um, I feel that uh, I felt that I had to do it, and uh, I was pushed into this role. Um, it was for my family and for my daughter um, and for the greater good of the families in New Hampshire. Um, so that's kind of how I ended up doing it. We, uh, my daughter is approved for about 60 hours a week of in-home care nursing, and we were not receiving those hours um, because of the shortage of nurses. There, there weren't any available. Um, as of today, we had a short time, about a year, that we had coverage from our campaign that I did get some coverage. Um, as of May, uh, we are still without... Uh, stable nursing in our home. Uh, but we came to the commission. We put a bill through to try to fix the problem. Uh, we pushed that through, and we'll talk about that um, and the process of that. Uh, and the day, the first day that we uh, went to the meeting of the commission, um, we were pulled aside, Heather and I, and asked, um, would you like to chair the meeting? <laughs> we are. Before this, we were really just parents. Um, I used to be a former special education teacher uh, and a farmer, but uh, I have to take off from work to care for my daughter. Um, so really the background and the motivation is uh, just the love and the care for our family and my daughter. Um, and uh, I'll turn this over to Heather to um, So I first got started because my son, uh, Lucas, had a tracheostomy, uh, a couple feeding tubes, a pick line, and we were promised that we would receive nursing, and um, we didn't have anything. We didn't have a single nurse in our house for more than 10 months um, where we provided all of the care. So when I first started, um, my situation was very significant um, and very significantly different than when I ended at the commission. Um, and so we'll go into a little bit of detail about that after I think it's the next slide, actually. Um, so this is my why. Uh, this is my son, Lucas, um, my daughter, Tegan, and my fiance, Matt. Um, so I got started in advocating about two and a half years ago. 
Um, Lucas has Down syndrome, and along with that comes many medical complications for him. Um, unfortunately, we've been hit with a lot of them, um, but he's always came out on top. Um, he had heart surgery when he was a baby. He had some seizures that um, impaired his development. Um, he got his airway reconstructed about two and a half years ago, and that landed us a trach for a little over a year. Um, we only did that because he had severe episodes of croup, and we were promised to have 24 hours of nursing in home, and I wouldn't have to do this on my own. Um, I was a preschool teacher. I have no medical background. Um, I planned on owning a preschool out of my house one day, and after being a stay-at-home mom for three years, I said, I will not bring any more kids in here. I'm done. Um, so I was home, and uh, Audrey and I met up uh, just about two and a half years ago um, because our children share the same physical therapist. And after crying to her for many, many visits, she said, I know another mom that's going through the same thing. I think you two should, should talk and, and see if there's anything that you can do. Um, we talked. We met a lot. We didn't know each other, and uh, we cried a lot to each other, and we knew that there were so many other families out there that were going through this as well. Um, so we jumped out of our comfort zone. Um, neither of us had any legislative background. I really pushed all of that onto Audrey because I really had no educational background in legislative process. Um, so we really brought two different perspectives at that time, and now we totally flipped. So Lucas's um, conditions at the time were so significant. He required 24-hour care all the time. And it was me and my family who really cared for him. Um, Lucas was med flighted down to Boston one time from Dover, um, completely by himself. In, at five years old, I had to watch him fly away from me, and knowing he would, he would get there and nobody would be there that he would know. Um, for a child who can't communicate um, sufficiently on his own, that was extremely terrifying. Audrey got on the phone with the commissioner of DHHS who promised we would have nursing by the time we got home, and we never had nursing. Um, so Lucas came home in November. He had a PICC line. He had a trach. He had a G-tube. He had a J-tube. And there I was, a preschool teacher, uh, taking care of all of this in my home by myself. Um, so we were tired. We were so tired. We couldn't even get through the day, but we knew that we had to do something. Um, we continuously met with the uh, Department of Health and Human Service, um, worked collaboratively with the commissioner's office, the commissioner himself. Um, we were able to successfully move some things forward, um, but unfortunately, there's still a really big nursing crisis. Um, the only reason why I'm able to be here today is because uh, Lucas <coughs> got his trach removed in May of last year. Um, but we went more than 10 months without a nurse, and that would have continued um, to the point that people recommended that we put him in a placement. Um, unfortunately, Lucas is a very, very active child, um, and being stuck in a place for him was not um, an option, and it wasn't an option because staff wouldn't be able to provide the level of care that Lucas needed, but I was expected to do it solely on my own in my home. Um, so because he's better and because of all of this advocacy, I was able to uh, land a job full-time actually um, helping to advocate for not only Lucas but many other families in the state and um, really help them to be able to advocate for themselves and their families as well. This, this is my family and I have three girls. Uh, and Lexi is the oldest. She's almost 16 now. She's diagnosed with Cornelia DeLange syndrome and PCDH19 female epilepsy. So we, um, for her medical care, we have to handle um, a GJ tube feedings and uh, watchful eye for seizures. Um, and she needs help with uh, all of her daily care. Um, with walking, and she's nonverbal. Um, she can get into trouble, though. <laughs> As you can see in the middle picture, she <laughs> has a big personality. Um, she has had different types of nursing care since she was about two years old, uh, LNA, for a while, until things got more complicated, and we switched over to a 
and in RN care. Uh, and things were going okay for a while. Um, I find that when uh, the economy is bad, when we're in a recession, I have lots of nurses to pick from uh, in my home. Uh, when the economy gets good, it dries up. And we went through a period where we were unable to find nurses to uh, fill the hours that we were approved for. That's when, yes, Heather and I met up, and we were really struggling. I, wasn't, I had to close down my business. I ran a 20-share uh, CSA organic farm um, and, uh, to try to keep up with all of her care. <coughs> and it was really hard. We really struggled. Uh, we were told over and over again from the nursing agencies that the reimbursement rate had not been increased for uh, 10 years, and that's why they couldn't find nurses. And I thought... No problem, I got this. I'll just call up to the government and say, hey, maybe you guys overlooked this. You forgot that um, about 10 years ago, you stopped increasing the reimbursement rate, and we really need that to happen. <laughs> and uh, that is, it was not easy. Uh, we had to have so many different meetings. Um, I, I didn't feel like we were getting anywhere, so I signed up for the New Hampshire Leadership uh, Program. And I went through that this year. That, uh, that year we pushed for our campaign and we pushed the SB 493 bill through the legislature to uh, form the study commission. Um, and after that, they did raise the reimbursement rates. We got it done uh, and they started a pilot program and we did get some nurses in our home after that, which is to our great relief. Um, as of last May, though, uh, we've lost our nursing again, and it's a real struggle to find someone else to replace the person that left because she needed health care benefits. You don't get health care benefits if you work uh, in home care. Um, it's just, uh, we've had a really rough last six months. <laughs> uh, to know that we did so much work uh, over the last couple of years um, to be right back in the place where we started from. Um, but I know that things are changing and there's a lot of people, there's some people in this room that are working on it. I know there's probably some people that are watching that are working on it. We've made some, uh, some changes across the board with a lot of different things, but there's definitely a lot of work that still needs to happen. Uh, and the workforce shortage is not just in home care. It is uh, across the board in all areas in New Hampshire. Um, and I hope that uh, people continue to put effort forth to try to fix the problem. All right, so my why is a little less personal and a little bit more trajectory of how I've come to be here. So when I was in college, I worked for a camp um, called Camp Allen, and it was a camp for children and adults with disabilities. Um, and that initiated my passion for working and advocating for kids with disabilities. Um, I was also offered and applied um, to a program called LEND through New Hampshire and the Geisel School of Medicine when I was in grad school, and that stands for Leadership, Education, Neurodevelopmental, and Other Related Disabilities. Really long name. <laughs> um, I loved that experience. I was able to do clinical and work in an autism clinic. Uh, I was able to go to Washington, D.C., and we advocated against seclusion and restraint legislation that was trying to be put through to um, include that in schools. Um, and from this, when I went into nursing um, as a clinical nurse, I really missed this piece of advocacy. Um, and again, Deb got in contact with me and I became a member of the government um, Commission on Government Affairs, which I'm currently an active member I'd be happy to talk a little bit later about, if you're interested in this, how you can get involved as well. I love being a member of that because I know for the first time in a really long time what the active bills are in, um, that are going on, where we need help to testify, um, and we'll talk a little bit more later about why nurses are so impactful in giving your testimony. All right, we're going to take it back to fifth grade. <clears throat> All 
so we share that video. Um, my executive director showed me that one of one of my roles as a full-time employee now is to go around and teach the legislative process. And if you told me two and a half years ago I'd be doing that full-time, I would have probably laughed in your face because I did not like history or anything about it in high school. Um, but we shared that video, and it's a way before my time, um, but it's literally the process of how a bill becomes a law. Um, my executive director told me, just show this. And I'm like, I have never heard of this. Are people even going to like this? Um, and I get a lot of uh, stuff from that at every meeting I go to. Um, but it's really in a three-minute fun clip exactly how a bill becomes a law. Um, so Audrey and I had this idea, like, there's a nursing shortage. What can we do about it? We heard about a commission to study it and come up with some solutions for it. So we took that idea. We went and found a senator, Senator uh, Jeff Woodburn from the North Country, and said, we had this idea. Do you want to be a sponsor? So he said yes. Uh, we gave him the idea. They drafted up everything. Um, the session runs from January to June. This is the most boring part, but it's really so important um, to just kind of show you that anybody could put a bill through. Um, the bills are starting to come out now. They're called an LSR, a legislative service request. And that's really just a placeholder um, to say this is the title of our bill. You don't need to have the full language of it. Um, so oftentimes a bill will come out, but we won't really know if it's going to affect us positively or negatively until that full text comes out um, because we don't really know what's happening behind the scenes. Um, the uh, legislative office will... Um, draft the bill, the sponsors sign off on the bill. Um, a bill, any bill that comes through the session has to go in front of a committee. So in a um, given year, the session runs from January to June and up to a thousand bills can be um, submitted during that time. Um, that means that there has to be a thousand hearings on those bills unless they slowly get pulled off or um, get withdrawn. Um, so the committees hold the public here, the public hearings, and that's where the public gets to go and share information on how this bill is going to affect you positively or negatively. And that's where families and um, other stakeholders really have to strategize their messaging and how to really get it out and try to persuade these legislators as to why this bill should or should, should not pass. Um, that committee will make a recommendation to the full House um, or Senate, depending on where the bill started, and um, that the full House or Senate will vote on it. Um, if you have a senator as a prime sponsor, then it's a Senate bill. It begins with SB. And if you have a state rep that is the prime sponsor, it will be a House bill, HB. So if it passes, if it's a Senate bill and it passes the Senate, it will be switched over to the House, and the same thing happens over there. The House will send it to a committee. Um, they'll hold a public hearing. You do the process all over again. You re-strategize depending on how that first public hearing went. Um, they make a recommendation. They make a full vote on it. Um, if it passes, just as it is in both um, House and Senate, uh, then at that point it can go to the governor. If it doesn't pass, if there's an amendment at either of the bodies, um, then that bill goes into a committee of conference where a couple of legislators um, from the state reps and a couple of senators um, sit together at a table and really try to work out any of the details of where the um, differences came up and agree on a bill. Um, from there, if it, they come to an agreement, then it goes back to both bodies, the House and the Senate, and it needs to pass both of them. If it is passed, then it goes to the governor. And, like in the three-minute clip, uh, he, can, he has three choices. He or she has three choices. They can sign the bill and it becomes a law. Um, they can choose not to sign it, um, but not veto it, and it becomes a law within five days without their support and signature. Um, or they can veto a bill. Um, that's where they send it back to both the House and the Senate, and they have to, it would pass with a two-thirds majority vote. Um, a reason why a governor may not veto a bill um, but not sign it and kind of just let it become a law um, could be because they're not really passionate about the topic. Maybe it, it doesn't really affect them a lot positively or negatively, um, so they'll just let it become a law. Or if 
it had um, significant votes coming in and they know that sending it back, it will have more than the two thirds majority anyway. Um, they'll just kind of let it go into a law at that point. Um, so when you wanna look up a bill, uh, this is a website that you go to. This is a website that you'll find for um, everything. Um, you'll see this little box here. A uh, big important thing to know is when you're looking for a bill, not to put a space in between um, the letters and the numbers or nothing will come up. Um, so if you're looking for Senate Bill 439, you would just do SB 439. Um, there's different advances and um, different levels of looking into a bill that you can find, but this is where you can find um, the calendars, you can find um, whether a bill has passed, where the status is of that bill, any of the language, the full language of the bill, if you're looking for um, how it's gonna really come out um, or the effects that it may have. Right now, the LSRs are coming out, so for anybody who's interested in kind of seeing what may be coming for this next session, there's a link. Uh, this one will say 2018 bill requests for LSRs, and it comes in a list as they're kind of put in there, and the list just keeps growing longer and longer. I think as of yesterday, it was in the 350s or 370s. Um, so the House and the Senate has different times that they can submit bills and sign off on them. So the SB 439 went through that whole process. We went to a couple different hearings and spoke out uh, to have it go through. It actually passed unanimously, from what I remember, um, through the committees. So that was very exciting. Um, you all have a copy of the report that is a result from the commission that we sat on. Uh, and it shows all the different people that sat on the commissioners, the uh, meeting as well. Uh, and through that process, we broke it into three different subcommittees, uh, education, data, and, oh my gosh, what was retention. the third one? Retention uh, and quality of the nurses, nursing staff. Out of that commission, with everybody talking in a very short amount of time, uh, we came up with one of the low-hanging fruits uh, that we could grab onto easily was the criminal background checks that came out of, um, of everyone coming together. And this has passed. We have made uh, some changes with a couple different bills that went through this past year for criminal background checks and licensure. So now nurses from surrounding New Hampshire states can cross lines and come and work in New Hampshire. Uh, and we don't have to go through a, a big process for licensure and criminal background checks anymore. So that's to help draw nurses into the state. For education, uh, this is still a really big area um, that needs to be worked on uh, for recruiting. You know, I, I don't think it's a problem for recruiting nurses to go into school. They have a wait list for nurses uh, to apply, uh, that are applying to different schools right now. The problem is um, the number of faculty that work in the schools. They don't have enough faculty to actually teach the number of students that want to become nurses. Um, and faculty at uh, higher education schools, they don't get paid very much. Uh, so it's not really a draw for those uh, teacher, nurses to wanna become a teacher. So that's a big issue. Um, compensation. This was, the, this was probably the main area that Heather and I tried to tackle uh, when we worked for our campaign. They did raise the reimbursement rates. Uh, and they did increase the wages a little bit, but it's still significantly less than what nurses get paid at uh, for the surrounding hospitals. Um, so right now, within the nursing agencies for the home care centers, um, maybe some of the agencies are paying a little bit more. I think we're just kind of shifting nurses around between the different agencies, and there's some competition happening uh, around that now. But we're still not drawing new nurses into the field. And a lot of them still go to the hospital. They also can offer benefits. Um, it, as it's per diem work. Uh, they, so if, you know, like my child went into the hospital um, a, quite a few times in the last six months. And so that leaves out the nurses that we do have. Um, they don't get paid 
because we're in the hospital. Um, it's not really fair for anybody. Um, some of the nursing agencies do offer some health insurance benefits, uh, but a lot of the agencies, um, they try to, uh, they, they don't allow the nurses to work over that 30-hour uh, mark so that they can receive nursing because the agencies, they can't afford to pay the benefits for the nurses. Another big thing that came up uh, for recommendations from the commission is uh, there are not many LPNs available in the state and there's not enough schools teaching LNAs, uh, I'm sorry, LPNs um, through the state. Uh, we're not pushing those, that certification out uh, from the schools right now. Uh, the LPNs are a really uh, sought-after nurse for the in-home care agencies because uh, their pay is a little bit less, but they can still carry out all the skilled um, nursing functions of the, to take care of the kids in their home. Um, but it's really hard to, to find them. Um, <laughs> so I was just going to elaborate a little bit about what Audrey was talking about with the small steps that we did make for change. So Senate Bill 137 talks about how we're now allowed, if you're working in another state like Massachusetts, um, you can now come over, work as long as you have your <coughs> nursing license, um, and work for a 100, it gives you 120 days to finalize that background check. Whereas before that was creating some delays, especially in areas that have facilities close to two states. Um, and then Senate Bill 152 talks about LNAs. So as long as an LNA has had a criminal background check in the last 12 months, they're allowed to work under supervision of a nurse um, for, uh, I believe, 90 days. Um, so again, a small change, not enough change, but that is something that did come out of this. So when we talk about nursing shortage, I wanted to just elaborate a little bit more about what that physically means. Um, there was recently a WMUR segment where they discussed this as well. So we're on a list. It's not a good list. It says that we're the most over, we're one of the 10 most states with overworked nurses. So nationwide, on average, there's 12.8 nurses per 1,000. In Vermont, that's 21.3 per nurses per 1,000 people. Maine, it's 16.8. Mass is 17.1. New Hampshire is 9.2. Okay. Um, also, nurses, New Hampshire nurses are earning $3,500 less than the national average. And according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and Statistics, you can see how our salary compares with mass and nationwide. Um, and that was recently on WMUR as well. Additionally, um, we have this um, problem that we've been talking about ever since I went into nursing school. Um, so we know that nurses, um, the, so when I looked at the workforce data from the New Hampshire Board of Nursing, the largest category of nurses, so those nurses who are 50 to 59 or 60 to 69, those two categories combined made up 48% of the New Hampshire nurses. 48%. So that means those nurses are going to be retiring. If not already retiring, don't leave me, Ruth. <laughs> <laughs> and with those nurses retiring... Um, we are having what I like to describe as a nursing experience gap because those nurses have a breadth and depth of experience that newer nurses graduating from school um, don't yet have, haven't yet gained. Um, so the lower salary, less nurses per people, and the large number of nurses planning to retire over the next few years is, again, only going to make what problems we already have a lot worse so if I can drive into you that now is the time to advocate because things are only going to get worse. So Heather is going to talk a little bit about what can we do. So I just want to make sure that you're not intimidated to put a bill through. Um, typically, it's not very common that the people who put a bill through are asked to actually chair that commission or that uh, bill that you're putting through. Um, Senator Woodburn really believed in us, and we were like, yeah, sure, that would be great. Uh, we had five weeks to complete this um, 
final report that you have in front of you. And when you have 25 or so different people at the table with 25 or so very strong opinions of why the crisis is the way that it is, um, that can be very challenging. Um, so it sounds extremely overwhelming to um, and so much work and then you think that you're done and uh, you're put into a different position of it. Um, but usually it's not as complex and in-depth as that, um, but we really felt that we could have a strong voice at the table and that that's what families needed, was to make sure that there were people on that commission that truly understood what it was like to uh, raise a child in your home and want to keep them at home, um, but still need to sleep at night and take care of your other children and, uh, for some people, work. Um, unfortunately, that wasn't in the pictures for Audrey and I. Uh, we oftentimes would call each other in the morning once our kids got on the bus. We would be on phone, the phone the entire day or webinars or meetings, and we, our kids would get off the bus, and we hadn't showered that day. Um, and, but we knew that there was, we couldn't give up. Um, we got told no a lot of times. Um, we got laughed at. Uh, you know, we were just two other parents, and people had already tried that in the past, and it wasn't going to work. Um, we were extremely successful in what it was that we were trying to accomplish because we continued to push forward. We continued to network with not only other parents that were living it, um, but other nursing agencies, nurses themselves. The more people that you can get involved that are affected by it and not just, you know, hit there to try to get some money from somebody, the more experience, the more different perspectives that you can pull into a situation, the better you'll be able to really explain that to legislators to, um, and the media to understand. Um, the media, it was, it was important to have them on our side um, because we were able to continue to bring light to the situation that we were dealing with. Um, so what can you do now? Um, connecting with your local legislators, uh, that sounds extremely intimidating. Um, we think at, that because we have senators and state reps, 424 of them in the state of New Hampshire, um, they're voted in because they know everything. They know exactly which way to vote on something that's going to affect the population of New Hampshire. They're going to represent us the best. And, uh, you know, oftentimes families feel like they don't understand where we're, they already know what we're going through. So they don't need to call them. They don't need to express how a bill is going to affect them. Um, and it's honestly the entire opposite. Um, a legislator gets voted in and has the motivation to get voted in because of a specific area of interest in their life. So if they don't have a child in their life with a disability, if they don't have a family member, um, they don't know which way to vote on a bill. Um, because they may not have, simply because they don't have the education on it. Um, so it's so important to really reach out to your legislators um, and attending any meetings that you really can, even if you're not going to testify. Um, you know, if you're in Concord and there's a hearing happening to just go and see the process and um, see that it's not as intimidating as we sit up here and talk about. Um, and that it's so important to know that you truly do have a voice in the way that things turn out. You just have to put yourself out there and um, really step out of your comfort zone for that. So in speaking about what we can do as nurses, um, if you, I could have a show of hands, who is a member of the New Hampshire Nurses Association? All right, so there's some opportunity to improve, so definitely reach out. You get a combined membership, I believe, from New Hampshire Nurses Association and ANA for like $13 a month. So definitely do it. Um, know who your legislators are, and we'll show you how to do that after. Attend your legislative town hall, the New Hampshire Nurses Association. So Heather was showing you how to find all the bills that are active. We actually, as our association, um, one of our big pushes is we have a legislative town hall, which um, we have here, we attended last um, winter, which Deb Hastings will send an invite out for. Um, and we will tell you all the pertinent things that we think that are going on relating to nurses. And what we need from nurses is to get your testimony. Um, 
Testimony from nurses really hits home and drives an impact because you have a really great education, a really great background, and you're speaking from the heart of things that really impact your patients. So even if you don't have the time to get involved with a committee, if you can offer up to the New Hampshire Nurses Association your perspective so that we could get you to come and testify, that would be very helpful. Um, and then advocate for change. Uh, one of the big pushes that we're working on um, this year is workplace safety, and I know that hits home from the events from last week. Um, so we're looking through to see what we can do to um, introduce. We also um, are looking at introducing potentially legislation for safe sleep. Um, many states ban bumpers. Um, bumpers are the things that go around uh, cribs, and children can suffocate if there's bumpers. New Hampshire, again, live free or die. A lot of things are hard to regulate, but we still allow stores to sell bumpers. So that's something that we're working on. Um, so again, just being really involved and knowing what's going on and offering your story, especially those of you who um, work with disruptive behavior patients and want to tell that story. I always get pulled out for the boring sessions. <laughs> no, I didn't play that very well. Um, so how can you get involved? How do you find your legislators? Sometimes that's a really hard question. We don't know where to start. Again, the magical website to be able to find almost all the information that you need. Um, from here, there's a few different ways. If you, um, actually, if so if you, uh, these are kind of what will come up when you hit find your representative. So you can go at it a few different ways. Um, one way is you could look by your town or your um, county. And if you go to that, you can pull it up and it will show you um, basically what's on the right here. It will show you if there's any different wards, um, if there is different senators, if you have a couple different senators within your region. Um, it will show you who your state reps are. Um, there's many different resources out there to figure that out. And if you want any more information on this, um, please feel free to connect with Brianna, who can connect you with uh, one of us or one of the people in your area. Um, there are 10 area agencies in the state of New Hampshire that do provide services to individuals with disabilities. Um, most of them have a legislative liaison who focuses on the legislative um, process and the bills that are out and how they're going to affect you. Um, so really just getting involved, kind of putting yourself out there and getting all of the information that you need to really um, be an effective advocate. You don't need to know the entire process. You don't need to know um, the right things to say. Um, we didn't have the background in legislation and we both lived it, we went through it, we experienced it. And now we get to teach other families and parents how to do that same process. So um, it really can, it just relies on you to put yourself out there and, and gather the information to be able to um, help in any way that you can. All right, so um, again, your voice matters, your voice is loud. Um, that picture over there is myself presenting at the UNH nursing white coat ceremony. Um, and I've tried to spread the word of legislative advocacy. And I actually was invited back this October, so I'm happy to continue to share. Um, and then Heather and Audrey received the 2016 Champion for Children Advocate Award recipients, um, along with Brendan Williams Senator Je and Senator Jeff Woodburn. Um, so at this time, I would like you to look at your note cards, look at what you wrote down, and I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. So what are you doing about those passions? What are you doing about those problems that you want to change? Because as Dr. Seuss says, if nobody cares, nothing's going to change, right? So think about what you're doing, and if you need help to get started, we are more than, help, more than happy to help. Um, and at this time, we would love to take any questions that you have or any discussion. And actually, while you ask a question, we're going to bring this over to you since it's recorded on the webinar. Thanks for your passion. That was a really um, informative uh, presentation. So thank you all for being here. My question, though, is about the numbers that you have of um, nurses per 1,000 of population. 
how, how does that attribute for nurses that are licensed in either both Vermont and New Hampshire? Like myself, I'm licensed in both Vermont and New Hampshire, but I work in New Hampshire. So am I counted as a Vermont person or a New Hampshire person? So I believe that is just by the state. Um, so we're, our organization is unique since we're on a border state. So I believe that is counted where you are actually licensed per the number of people in that state. No, you would be counted just, so if you're from Vermont, you would be counted in Vermont. Even if she's licensed in Vermont? I mean, in New Hampshire. Oh, that's right. That's a good question. I'm actually not sure. So that, I would say both. I'll share. Yeah. So that information, and if maybe Brianna can get this out to anybody, um, the source was the Medicare Health Plans and U.S. Census Bureau and the Kaiser Foundation. So, um, and it's from a September 15th article um, on the New Hampshire Business Review. So I'm wondering if maybe we dive a little bit deeper into that section, if that will kind of explain it a little bit. And if not, maybe if there's other resources within that page that could explain it um, more accurately. Any other questions? Just another resource that's uh, come, come to bear of late, uh, the, there are sector partnerships, um, sectors of business that have been identified uh, and um, are working around the workforce issues. And healthcare is very definitely one of those areas. And uh, we have a, there's a very part-time person whose sole purpose is to facilitate discussions around workforce uh, and there are champions around the state, including um, someone from Dartmouth, and um, they're looking for folks that want to be a part of that group to receive information and look at ways that together as a network we can um, affect change. So it's a really good uh, group to, to get um, connected with, and I can pass on um, you know, the information for that. So, and there also are some regional groups. I'm from the, from the Monadnock region, and we have a healthcare workforce group um, that's been meeting for about 18 months, and so we're collaboratively deciding about legislation and, um, you know, and, and what we might champion. And one of the results in our region was to bring an LPN program um, to the Monadnock region, and um, you know, we feel that's our feeder for our ends, and, and uh, as you all stated, um, very important. So. And I would be happy to share that information. I also want to share. Um, we do have a Facebook page that we were able to create um, from the very beginning. It's um, the New Hampshire Pediatric Nursing Care Campaign. Um, so on that website, on that page, um, we, it was used originally as kind of the process of when the hearings would be and who we needed and how, how many we needed. And as the work kind of finished um, that section, we know that there's a lot more work to be done. So we continue to post um, articles like the WMUR update, um, any of the articles that um, appear throughout the um, newspapers that we come across. We share different events if we know that there's a, an event going on, if we know that there's a bill coming up that uh, could affect any of the nursing, we share it on there. So um, again, the New Hampshire Pediatric Nursing Care Campaign on Facebook would be a great way for you to kind of stay connected to what's up to date. So during the time that we did all that to uh, Massachusetts, someone, a parent down there, they contacted me because they also were going through the same problem. As you know, it's really a nationwide problem uh, for uh, the shortage. Uh, and so they ha also have a Massachusetts pediatric nursing care campaign page as well. Uh, and they pushed forward um, a bill to down there, but they're still struggling as well. I just want to remind folks, too, that um, you can actually advocate for certain bills via email, via you know, making a phone call. You don't have to go to Concord, although it's fabulous, but for a lot of folks up here, they're not able to. But sending a letter to your congressperson or even calling them on the phone, they, 
believe it or not, they may be your next door neighbor in New Hampshire, right? The legislature is so huge. And they expect it. They like it. And always when I write, and it, email is easy, I always sign it RN because it's usually about something related to health care. And then it's just showing that the voice of nurses is, is important. Um, so just so you don't have to go anywhere, you can do it right from the comfort of your home. Any more questions? All right. Well, thank you. Thank you.